0: All right, welcome back, my friends, to part two of Golf Talk with Carter Schmitz. Um, If you missed the first one, go ahead, jump back, check it out. And if you're just jumping in, we got Carter Schmitz. He is a performance specialist. He has a CSCS. He uh, is very into peak performance and finding ways to push the body and adapt and, you know, just make better athletes and people. Um, He's also an avid golfer. He loves the game, so we've really connected on that, and we'll continue our conversation here. Let's get into it. Golf Talk, Carter Schmitz.
1: A question for you. As you as you were going through this transition to becoming a PGA pro, and as you're, you notice your game improving, what what was kind of the last piece to come around, do you feel? Like, did you feel like you were a pretty good ball striker and it was a short game that was lagging, or or maybe the other way around? Like, like what were your thoughts there? Oh, man, that's great. Um, I feel like putting came
0: quick. It was just a lot of practice. I mean, I was terrible at the beginning, but just, you know, spending time getting my feel down. So that's been a little bit more consistent. I've always felt like I'm a pretty solid putter. Um, controlling my ball off the tee. I even mean, used hit massive slices, so I still don't have the most control off the tee, but actually being able to play the game and figuring out where it's kind of going. And then, um, you know, irons, I was always okay with. I've definitely improved wedges, tremendously improved, but that's still a part of my game that lets me down. It's, or not lets me down, but like where I feel like I'm way behind the people I compete against is, my ability to hit consistent iron shots and wedges, you know, close. And finding that consistency is is so key, obviously, to golf. But, yeah, I think just a lot of it's mentally figuring out how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And I've always been kind of more of a flow player. Like, you know, I'm able to make four or five burritos. Like, you know, make some things, happen, hit some shots, you know, chip up and kind of do fun stuff like that. But then mm-hmm. the consistency of bringing it down is where I've got better, but where I still need to make a lot of stride just being a more consistent
1: yeah no there. that's interesting and then and when you look at so so i feel like i'm a very average golfer you know i'm sitting at, dude you got good action I'm, in your I, swing. Though. thank you i you appreciate do. that but i'm sitting mid 80s you know and so selfishly when you look at a swing like mine like when you got a guy that comes in sitting at 85 what's kind of like the first thing that you look at like what is the first place that you go where it's like we can gain some strokes here Yeah, you're a little bit more unique because, honestly, you're way more consistent than I was.
0: Like, I feel like I'm able to make a lot of double and triple bogeys to where I don't think... I mean, you do, but it's more of your short game, I think, that gets you in trouble. It's not from your ball striking. Like, I can block one way out or I can hit an iron way offline and that gets me in trouble Where is I don't see you doing that as much with your irons as to where that one day... I mean, you were sitting on a part five. You were out, you know, seventy yards out, and then you hit it over the green of the bunker. It took you two to get out.
1: You hit up. The, like, you made an eight from position. You should never make an eight from right. That yeah, was frustrating. I was I was sitting like one under at that point too. It was like the se- yeah. I think that was was at the seventh hole. I was sitting like one under through six. I was clicking right. Yeah, I know the exact hole you're talking about. Yeah, yeah
0: and you because you've never shot thirties before in a nine, right?
1: I no, I I shot my first thirty nine um, like two weeks ago. And it was awesome. It, yes. it was a game changer. But get at this. I three-putted the last hole. I three-putted the last hole. So, like, I was sitting – I mean, I one putt, it was, like, from 10 feet, too. It was, like, a three-feet – it was, like, a downhill slider that I just hit with way too much momentum. And it caught the lip, and it just kind of trickled, like, 10 feet by, and then I missed the comeback. And so, so are you kidding me? Like, if I just make – that first putt, dude, I'm sitting at 37. Like, I'm itching at that par round that's on nine. Unreal. I, I, I'm itching. I haven't gotten 70s yet, so I'm getting close, but I just got to keep working. Keep yeah, working. and it's, dude, that's the most fun.
0: But uh, going back to what we were saying on that hole, like, I remember I hit my shot just before you. I was a little bit back before you hit yours over, I think. And I remember looking at this pin, and I was like, you cannot be deep. That was the yeah. only – so that's where I've developed – because back in the day, I would have – done the exact same thing Mm -hmm. so understanding like you cannot be deep and i think i left mine 15 20 feet short and i just missed my 20 foot or whatever par but that's a shot that i was just consistently thinking about like can't miss deep can't miss deep on this shot right so Mm -hmm. you know make a committed swing make a you know 70 yard committed swing and maybe it rolls out so just thinking like i think like things like that obviously we can all get better technically and you know hitting the ball, but like understanding when to miss, where to miss yeah. is where you could clean up a lot.
1: And that's really interesting because I remember after, after that one, and then I came back and like doubled the next two because I went long. Um, you said something to me about that. You were like, you're like, Hey, you just missed a couple long that you probably shouldn't have missed long. you was like, you just need to understand that. And let's go in the back nine and fix it. And every like something like that. And ever since then, it's just like totally clicked where when I stand over the ball or before I stand over the ball, I'll think about that and say like, okay, like, like where, where should I miss here? Like, like can I miss long? can I should I miss short? And I feel like honestly on the majority of holes, it seems like short is usually the miss. so i've I've started to I've oh, yeah. started to take a little bit less club actually than I normally would as opposed and ever since you said that. and I feel like it's been it's definitely paid dividends.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, like and that's just understanding golf, like we were talking about when like there would be times on on shots, I'm like one ninety five out and I have a little flyer lie and the pins in the back and I'm hitting a nine iron. and these guys are like, Nine iron, 195, it's like, well, yeah, but I have a flyer. I'm trying to hit this ball 170 and mm-hmm. maybe let it roll out a little bit. Because I, if I hit an eight iron and I hit a flyer, it's going to maybe fly over the pin. Exactly. And I can't hit that shot. Yeah. And if I hit a seven, maybe a stock, you know, 190 shot, then I'm screwed. Yeah, and they just, you so. know, so like people, they're like, oh my, they just don't even put the thought process in, right? Of what we're trying to do and what we need to do to play golf mm-hmm. and, and kind of get the ball around. Yeah, really interesting, dude. Really interesting. Always growing, right, dude? It's so and and that's where I need to make a ton more progression and continue to work at it and all these things. But it's once you get into the mental side of golf and really learn to play, it's it's a whole animal in itself. It's so fun. But going back to what you say, you shot your first thirties. How fun
1: that was, dude! Oh yeah, it was a blast. Dude. I
0: remember the first thirty nine I ever shot. You know, three years ago it was with my mom in the morning. We just played nine. And I was on cloud nine. It was a great. I could tell you every single shot I hit on that nine (laughs) hole because I was like floating. It was just me and my mom, a random like Friday morning, seven o'clock. Nobody cares. And
1: (laughs) I mean the whole day jacked up. Yeah, so I love that, dude. It was it was a blast. It was a game changer for me, and I uh, yeah, just am itching to get back out now and like got to keep playing. You know, got to keep improving. That that par round is coming, and that's the next big goal here for me.
0: Yeah, you're gonna hit 70 soon, and then that's that's just, another one. It's fun though. Enjoy the process. Oh, man. for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into let's get into training a little bit. The mm-hmm. golf swing. um So there, this was awesome. You said. You know there, there's so much we can do with training and injuries and and all the mobility and stability but you said when we're talking about high load strength training something that I really love you know deadlifts and you know back squats the right way um you said there's three things we want to get out of high load strength training three main
1: keys this mm-hmm. was cool what are those three kind of things yeah 100% so first thing first thing that's important to realize is that like High load strength training is different for everybody. It's a very relative term, you know, like high load strength training for, um, for a 45 year old looking to improve his game is going to look like 30 pound dumbbells and loading up a split squat. You know what I mean? Whereas high load strength training for a collegiate golfer is going to be heavy hex bar deadlifts, heavy Zerker squats, um, things of that nature, like more load is being placed on the body. Um, but it's all relative. So like, I don't want, I don't want to, to miscue the term high load strength training, you know, with like 550 pound back squats. Like that's not the case. Like that's not the case at all. It's all relative. Um, but yeah, I believe it's important. It's important to load the body in, in ways that it's uncommon to that in ways that it's unfamiliar with is maybe the better term. And so, so there are three main things that, that I touched on or that we touched on in the article that, that, Um, I believe are beneficial to high load strength training. Um, There's many more than that, but these are just kind of the three that we hit on. And so number one is establishing a generic force production ability. So the reason we want to do this is because the golf swing is such a forceful motion. There is so much going on in the golf swing in regards to creating force at different joints and in different muscles and translating this force into a rotational Angular velocity, and Mm -hmm. so teaching our body how to number one handle these high force loads is important, and number two, building a sort of this force reserve is very important. And what I mean by that is, so you know, let's just let's throw an example out there. So let's say it just random numbers. Let's say it takes 100 newtons to hit your max golf swing. 100 newtons of force. Well, if 100 newtons of force is your max, then every golf swing that you take is going to feel like a max effort. And to anybody out there that's trained that has gone through like a one rep max, like that takes its toll. Like you are toast after that one rep of max effort. So if we can establish through training, through high load training, the ability to get, to produce 200 newtons of force or to produce 300 newtons of force, all of a sudden that 100 newton golf swing feels a lot easier. And it's a lot easier to recover in between swings. It's a lot easier to recover in between rounds because we have this foundation or this, this well of force per se that we can draw upon. And, and further, if we, if we take it a step further now we can produce 300 newtons of force so maybe we can up our 100 newton swing to 125 150 all of a sudden we're producing more force which is which is translating into higher torque and higher angular velocity creating higher clubhead speed and hitting the ball further and so it's just all it's this chain reaction of events and so first and foremost uh create generic force create general force establish a force reserve and then we need to Translate this force into some sort of power Um, because you know the golf swing is fast, it's velocity driven, and so an important piece of the golf swing is power not so much force, but force is the base of power. Mm. Power is equal to force times velocity, so force is an important component of power, which is then going to translate into the golf swing. Number two, we want to connect the kinetic chain, and so with high load strength training. We're going to be utilizing compound movements, Mm. um, lunges, split squats, uh, both bilateral and unilateral squats, deadlifts. Um, There's so many different compound-based movements we can load the body. And the reason we want to utilize these is because we want to connect the kinetic chain. We want to build efficiency. Um, If we look at the hex bar deadlift, all of the force is being produced in our lower body, per se. But our upper body is utilizing the tool. Our upper body is utilizing the hex bar. And so how are we bridging this gap between the lower body strength being created and the upper body tool utilization? Well, it's this big bridge we call our core. Our core, our lats, our obliques, all of this sweet stuff in the middle of our body that's connecting our lower body strength that we're producing and our upper body tool utilization. So how can we connect that chain? How can we teach our body to build tension and build this sort of stiffness that allows us to transfer forces efficiently in the golf swing. Um, one thing that we write about is the summation of speed principle, which is probably like my favorite part of the golf swing. Like it's so cool. I, I'll, I'll try and summarize it real quick here. But essentially the summation of speed principle says that we initiate the downswing, and I'm just going to start at the hips, although we maybe initiate the downswing with our feet, but it's somewhere in our lower body there. I'm going to start with our hips because it's probably the easiest to to, to discuss and to understand. Um, but So we initiate the downswing with our hips, turning turning towards the target, and our hips, therefore, are going to reach their peak angular velocity and their peak force production before any other bodily segment up the kinetic chain. And so our hips reach their peak force and their peak angular velocity first. Next in line is our torso. Then our torso turns with our hips, after our hips. And so our torso creates its own force, but it also compounds upon the force that was created at our hips. So now the force and the angular velocity that's being created at our torso is faster. It's stronger Mm. than what was created at our hips. And then moving up, we look at the thoracic spine, which rotates next after the torso. And we can understand that the thoracic spine is compounding upon the force that was created at our torso and at our hips. And so you can see how it's just kind of this like snowball effect. It's this building of forces and angular velocity that eventually then gets maximized at the club head. It goes from, you know, hips, torso, thoracic spine, shoulders, arms, wrists, hands, club, the shaft and then eventually landing at the club head, maximizing your club head speed. If you ever watch a golfer, a professional golfer, you'll see this huge leg in the club head. And the reason that there's this leg is because the club head is the last thing to come around. It's compounding upon all these angular velocities in the body, eventually landing at the club head at impact. Um, and so when our bodies can transfer this force efficiently from the hips to the torso up the kinetic chain, that's when we're going to be most successful in achieving high levels of club mm. and speed. And so while, while we can utilize count first and foremost, the best way to do this and the best way to improve this is to play golf. Like the best way to do this is to work with a golf coach and improve the efficiency of your mechanics and of your technical swing. But there are definitely ways we can utilize the weight room to work compound movements to achieve this sort of tension development and force production and force transfer abilities that's going to then transfer to your golf swing.
0: Absolutely. Yep. And, and just to it. jump in,
1: like the core engagement piece
0: of this, this is such an important part for injury prevention, but also that translates to the golf swing. My whole life, I squatted and deadlifted incorrectly. I didn't engage my core correctly, and I struggled with a lot of back pain, as we talked about. I've been... Like the last few months been just going crazy into deadlift and back squat again. I didn't back squat in forever because my back always hurt. But understanding core, I've been working like changing my core engagement for a year or two now of like connecting. For me, it feels like I connect the top of my core to the bottom. I feel mm-hmm. like it's plugged in and mm-hmm. not having the back out arch spillage. So doing this correctly, I just deadlifted. I did hex bar deadlift for 315, the most I've ever done. And I had zero back pain the next day. Mm -hmm. And like, I've been back squatting again, something that I thought was so stupid. I was so against for so long without any pain because I feel so connected and there's just no pressure on my low back. So doing things the right way is so important. Or for me, this is what's working the right way. But having that current connection and engaging my core, turning it on, number one, now creates no injuries for me. But it also is building a stronger core for my golf swing. And now I can engage my core better because I used to, of course, have back spillage in my swing. I'd get too long because I would get disconnected. My core would, my butt would stick out Mm -hmm. and I'd lose some disconnection in my swing. So it is definitely all connected.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's through the mechanism of this high load strength training that we see. You're probably training your core in the best way possible. Um, You know, we talk about doing core training and like doing sit-ups is not, core training like we need to understand that for the golf swing like there are better ways to train the core and one way to do that is through high load strength training through high high load and again high load is a relative term but through loaded based compound strength training um and so it's very important and i feel like it should be the center or or a a large piece of the pie when it comes to training golfers in the weight room Mm. um and then the third the third and final piece that that we discuss is kind of this idea of building a a, both a healthy and a high performance tendon um so we have force production yep and then you had kinetic chain right yep yep so so creating force and turning that force into power connecting it all in the kinetic chain and then the last and the last piece is is building healthy tendons because tendons are a very I'll say the tendon unit because it's all kind of one, it's all connected. But the tendon specifically is a very important piece of the golf swing. Um, When we look at how powerful the golf swing is, it makes use of the stretch shortening cycle, which essentially, you know, we are are loading muscles, we're stretching them, we're elongating them, we're storing this elastic energy, and then we are releasing it on the downswing. Um, And so the tendon is a very important piece of the golf swing. So number one, how can we utilize it? How can we train it in order to achieve its max performance potential and number two how can we make it healthy like how can we keep it healthy how can we give us this longevity because this goes back to health and performance like we are looking at both ends of the spectrum here um but so essentially if we think about if we think about the tendon like an adaptable rubber band okay so as we snap this rubber band um as we're snapping it and snapping it think about it like it gets adaptable. It becomes more powerful as you snap it. It becomes tighter. It becomes more compressed. The snaps become stronger and stronger and stronger. That's kind of what happens with a tendon. When we're working the golf swing and we're doing this very fast plyometric-based movement, which I would basically consider the golf swing to be, um, depending on which muscle you're looking at, but when we're doing this very fast plyometric-based action our tendons are stiffening. They are becoming better at transferring force, which we just discussed is very important. When a tendon is stiff, it can transfer force better. Think about it like a, um, oh, I forget where I saw this example. I think it was in like a, an article by Jake Tura, I think. Um, so I want to give him credit, but think about it like you are pulling a tire okay you're pulling a tire and you have three different tools to pull that tire you have a rubber band you have a rope and you have a metal rod so you try to pull the tire with the rubber band and it needs to stretch there needs to be this elongation in the rubber band before it'll pull yeah okay so that rubber band doesn't transfer force very well because there's this there's this big piece of having to elongate first having to build tension and then pull the rope is a little bit better, but there's still this, this leg that you got to remove in the rope before the tire will pull, yep. before you can transfer your force on the pull into the tire and move the tire. Now, a metal rod, there is no leg. The moment you pull that metal rod, the tire is moving with you. You are transferring that force very quickly. And that is essentially what we are doing when we are training fast, when we're training for performance and plyometric based, We are building tendon stiffness and transferring force quicker which is awesome. But at the same time, if that rubber band gets too tight, it's going to snap. It's going to snap. It won't be able to absorb force. It won't be elastic enough. Awesome. And so we need to at the same time while we need to balance this kind of tendon stiffness and performance side of training with some sort of tendon elasticity and building elongating the tendon and allow giving it the ability to absorb force correctly and the one way that we can do that is through higher load strength training going through movements at a slower pace under load which if we load a movement you just are going to move slower like it's just going to happen due to the load um and so by doing that we can elongate tendons and we can make them more elastic and make them in a sense healthier per se And that will pair very nicely with the performance side of golf where we are moving fast, plyometric based. And don't get me wrong, like plyometrics are an important piece of the strength training program. Like we will absolutely make use of plyometrics and med ball throws and and, and bounds and even sprinting and stuff like that, like very plyometric based things. But it's important that we balance these with high load strength training, long duration isometrics, things that we are putting the tendons mm. under high load for extended periods of time. And that will eventually lead to healthier tendons. And that will pair very nicely with, with the performance side of building tendon stiffness. Um, so that's just an important gray area that we need to navigate. And one way that we can do that is through high load strength training. And I mean, now this goes back to the recovery piece, the hydration, the nutrition. The, you know,
0: pliability, deep tissue muscle work, you know, massaging, starting to build that elasticity, bring the muscles back to their, you know, natural length and then create some of that, you know, so it's not so stiff and tight, that ability for injury. Yeah. And this is all like TB12, you know. Mm. Have you read his book? No, no, I haven't. Oh my God. He would just just have a field day with this with you because this is all about his longevity. You know, you want to definitely be able to create force, and create that quick twitch fire but at what cost you know you need to be able to absorb the tension and all those things that come with it
1: mm-hmm. yeah so. it's all a balance dude and that's one thing i talk a ton about is like navigating the gray area and like there are so many different gray areas that we need to navigate just in life in general and so that's why I, I talk about all the time, you know, I've talked about it a bunch today is like health and performance, tendon stiffness and elasticity, you know, mobility and stability. There are all these different like spectrums that we need to navigate and we need to find the the interdependence between these two things. And once we establish that interdependence, that's when we can use the two sides to essentially compound upon one another. Mm. You know, when we can balance our mobility and our stability correctly, we can use are them to compound upon one another and achieve that kind of ideal interdependence, and and be the best athlete that we can be. Love that, dude. What
0: what mobility, uh, exercise and stability. You know some of the top ones you'd recommend for anyone listening or. Are- you know, for me that I could implement to kind of help these things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many that you can choose from. Um, and th- there's so many coaches out there, like on Instagram, that are discussing these things that, that you can go look into. But a big one that I that I push for is like 90-90 for hip mobility. Yes. So kind of like where you're on the ground, you're working simultaneous external rotation of one hip, internal rotation of another. Um, if you get to the point good enough there where you can take your hands off the ground and lose the assistance, we can also get some really great core work in there too. So that's a big one that I push. Um, in terms of the upper body, we can work banded shoulder distraction type work. Um, we can do like like any sort of like T rotation type work, kneeling T rotations, stuff like, like so thoracic spine rotations. Banded shoulder distractions like putting a band on like a something and having it pull your shoulder different yep, ways. Yep. Essentially so we're letting the band almost in a sense like like pull our shoulder joint apart. Like we are giving it this is freedom of movement per se. Um, and, and it gets, we get really into the weeds of like, of like what's going on there, but, but for the sake of this, I, I don't think we need to. Um, but it's just a really great one to free up the shoulder joint a little bit, free up the ligaments, the tendons that are surrounding the shoulder joint and, and work your body around the shoulder joint to kind of, uh, free it up per se. And, and it's awesome. That's a good one. That's a big one that I use with my athletes.
0: I love those by the way. Mm-hmm. Yoakum
1: did a mall's program. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really awesome stuff. Um, we can look at like. Uh, half kneeling, like windmills, are a great one too. Even like uh, like Turkish get-ups, while they're very much a stability-based exercise, they also work a ton of mobility based on the different movement patterns that we're utilizing as we work the Turkish get-up and stuff. Is Turkish get-up where you start on your butt and kind of roll over to? Yep, the yep, side? exactly. Yeah, and yep. And so you up. got you got a weight locked out and ahead of you or above you, essentially, and you're like rolling to your arm, and then you're kicking a leg through, getting up to your knee, and then you're standing up from there. Yeah, with, with your weight holding something yep. exactly exactly great. yep so that's a big one um we can look at like ankle rockers and ankle flossing any sort of ankle mobility drill that gets you in and out of plantar flexion dorsiflexion flexion is awesome um as well as inversion eversion things that we can work there are going to be great uh the big thing with mobility is we want to utilize exercises that simultaneously put us through full ranges of motion, but also uh, put us actively through these full ranges of motion. Like, like we don't want a partner to be pushing on our hamstring to achieve greater hamstring flexibility. Like that's not what we're after here. We want active joint mobilization. Mm. so so we can't just simply achieve a greater range of motion because what's that worth if we can't access that range of motion with our voluntary muscular action? Yes, You know what I mean? And so, we want to work exercises. We want to pair mobility exercises with some sort of activation type drill. We want to be doing mobility that essentially we are working full ranges of motion, but we are actively achieving those full ranges of motion. We aren't just simply being placed into them by some sort of passive factor. This is
0: And this is why I love the dead hang so much. Because the dead hang, you're getting the, all the release of tension off your shoulders and your low back and stuff, but you have to actively hold on in the bar. Like it's not just a complete passive movement where it's just like stretching, like you have to actively hold on and engage while you're getting some of this, Mm -hmm. you know, mobility and release tension, like stuff like that. I think is fantastic. No, that's
1: a good one. Have you, have you done max dead hangs? Oh my gosh. They're, dude. they're brutal. You got a time? What's your what's your best time?
0: No, I've gotten like a minute five, maybe.
1: Oh okay. so I'm not I'm I think I had a minute 32 was my max. Nice. Yeah, no, I had one of my athletes this summer crushed like three minutes five seconds. No. I was so proud of him. Dude, he was like he was like in a zone unlike any other. He was just focused on his breathing. All of a sudden, it was like one minute past, two minutes past, two and a half minutes past. I'm like, what's going on, dude? I was getting so psyched. Yeah. That is so impressive. I, it, yeah. Just, yeah. For those listening, like, if you've never tried to just hang on a pull up bar for as long as you can, like, go try. See how long you last. Because I, and let me know, because it's ho- like a minute passes and you're burning. Burning. Yeah. I mean
0: 30 seconds, dude. I do I'll, I'll, i do dead hangs every single time I go work out. By the way, dead hangs are incredible. I mean, monkeys don't have shoulder problems, right? Like <laughs> you gotta be able to hang. It's just so good for you. But it's awesome. Anyway, like I hang up to start all my workouts, and I'll usually do you know sets of 30 to 45 seconds. You know, I'll do like three or four of those with other stuff to get my body engaged before I do a compound lift. And like you said, pushing a minute is nasty for me. And it's a lot of the grip strength. That's where my goes first. I know it's my grip strength goes really quickly. So three minutes, dude. Hope that yeah, guy. I, I was impressed. I was so impressed. I was blown away. Unbelievable. Um, all right. Some other exercises, you know, let's go into compound lifts. Somebody out there who just has some time to, you know, hit some lifts. Maybe they're at your average gym. You know, what are some key compound lifts you'd recommend?
1: Yeah. So, so the big one that I recommend when we, when we look at loading is probably the hex bar deadlift. Like that's probably one of the first ones that I go to, um, simply because it's very comfortable. You're in a balanced position, a bilateral squat position. The, the grip on a hex bar being neutral is much more comfortable on shoulders than any sort of like straight bar would be. I really don't straight bar deadlift ever with any of my athletes. Um, we just because I don't train powerlifters. Like why would we Straight bar deadlift. Like, we don't need to, per se. Right. Um, so, the hex bar deadlift is a big one. Goblet squats are awesome. Mm. Um, any any sort of, like, a lunge variation, like, forward lunge, backward lunge, side lunge, cossack squats are awesome. Um, let's see. Bulgarian deadlifts are big for me and my athletes. Both rear foot elevated and front foot ele- elevated. Bulgarian deadlifts are huge. Um and, and, yeah, so that would probably be – that would be where I start probably. Are you doing – with a lot of your lunges, are you p- going on your front toe or are you doing full foot on the ground with your front foot? Yep. So it depends – it kind of depends on how heavy we're loading them. Okay. Um, and, and lunge work, I'll usually always do full foot. Um, But if we're doing like split squat work and yeah. especially the first couple of, of – of warm-up sets will usually elevate that front heel to get some additional ankle stability work mm-hmm. um, um and get some additional activation down there
0: and what type of things are you looking for uh like form wise, like in a in a bulgarian split squat or just say a squat or they're two different movements but like what things do you see cause a lot of you know pain and injuries or what things you try to correct right away
1: yeah, for any sort of unilateral type work, if we're looking at Bulgarian split squats, we're looking at the hips primarily. For me, um, I'm trying to keep the hips as even as I can. You know, it's tougher as you get into higher loads, but you're trying to essentially keep the hips in a in a a horizontal and level position while we're moving through this movement because that will that essentially tells us that we are transferring force correctly or or in a better position through our unilateral movement than we would be if one hip, which usually whichever foot is back, that hip will tend to dip. Mm. Um, and so if we can keep that up and keep that level, it shows that we are correctly activating kind of that, high, that back glute and we are, we are transferring force in a better position than we would be if we were dipping. Mm. Um, so that would be the big thing I look for there. Uh, in terms of squats, it really depends on the person, you know, because uh, on one hand... You, you, you'll run into a lot of different theories on back squats. You know, I try, I try not to fix lifting, lifting techniques too much um, because I want the athlete to kind of feel their technique. Like, I don't, I don't want to tell them, hey, let's sit our butt backwards, let's stay on our heels, unless it's like a, a very big problem where they're like clearly raising up on the front of their toes. But to be honest, if they're struggling to get depth, what I'll probably do instead of like correcting their form is I'll just throw like two and a half pound plates underneath their heels or I'll Mm. elevate their heels in some way. And usually that like automatically fixes any sort of technique errors because, and what else that, that also tells us then is that maybe they're lacking ankle mobility, Mm. which is a pretty common thing. Um, And so that's probably where I would look first when we're looking at bilateral squats. Um, But like I said, in general, I try not to uh, correct technique through, through my words um, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in like the direction versus discovery world is, is I try and give them constraints. I try and allow them to fix their form by figuring out for themselves. And now sometimes this takes some guidance from the coach. Sometimes this takes giving them a constraint. Sometimes this takes a directing them in some way, but I, I try and balance that spectrum as best I can and allow the athlete to figure it out.
0: I love that, man. I mean, the feet thing too is a huge one. I know, like I didn't connect my feet to the ground for so long. My toes would come up in my squat Mm -hmm. all the time. And I was like, I was getting, I would get low in my squat, but I was compensating by doing other things and it was losing my connection. So for me, like feeling, I feel like my toes, I always lift without shoes on, but I feel like I just connect my toes in the ground. They really pull on the ground. And that's been such a good way for me to engage my feet instead of letting, you know, just going back onto my heels and like my feet are just doing nothing.
1: Yeah. You know, no, the feet are all often overlooked by strength coaches and just like athletes in general. It's like, we got to understand like all movement basically starts at the foot, right? Yeah. I mean, the golf swing starts at the foot. The backswing starts at the foot. The way we initiate the backswing is with sheer forces at our feet. Like, like all, all forces, because we we stand on two legs, we jump on two legs, we run on two legs. Like it all starts at the foot. And if we can't transfer force efficiently through our feet through our ankles like it's all getting dissipated before it even reaches the golf club you know what i mean oh my gosh yeah but yeah so one one area that i was really hoping to dive down with you you know as as the nutrition guy um i and like i kind of mentioned this earlier is one thing that i really look at doing is navigating gray areas and How do we navigate all the different information in our world and all the different viewpoints in our world? You know, like we look at the strength conditioning world and it's like somebody believes this, somebody else believes the exact opposite. And it's like, how can we understand both sides of that spectrum and formulate our own opinion that is somewhere in the middle of those two viewpoints? You know what I mean? And that is kind of what I'm getting at by navigating the gray area. And so what I want to dive into is I don't, there might not be a subject where this is more prevalent than nutrition. Like somebody out here believes the keto diet is the magic, the magic bean. Somebody out here believes that like paleo is the thing. Somebody out here believes intermittent fasting is the thing. And it's like, how do you take all of this information in the world and all of these different theories and viewpoints, learn from them and formulate kind of your own interdependent, holistic Austin Harrington nutrition
0: That's all. I mean, awesome. And because all those diets work, you know, people create crazy good results and they're like committed to the diet, right? Mm -hmm. And nutrition, man, it's a deep dive into this. But first and foremost, you have to be able to not associate with one. You got to learn. You got to be able to learn and you have to have the confidence to be able to change your mind, especially nutrition because you we're always learning so much. So even if something's worked for you for so long, you have to be able to grow and learn. For me, Intermittent fasting has changed my life, and I, I'm a huge fasting proponent proponent of it, but from when I wrote my fasting article a year ago, I've learned things, and I've changed my mind on some things, and from when I first started intermittent fasting, I nowhere near have the same beliefs I do now, right? Now, if I'm ch- sharing a diet with someone, it that diet helped me so much. It doesn't have to be perfect for you to share a diet and help other people, you know what I mean? So things, I think we get too obsessed with what's, you know, the perfect or the thing, but like... Many of these things work. Let's try and see if it works for us. And just because you're not, you know, this qualified nutritionist, that doesn't mean you can try to help someone with giving your ideas. Th- that person needs to have the mental fortitude and ability to be dissociate between what's, you know, what they think's right and what they believe in. Right. Mm-hmm. So many diets out there. Um, I think there's, you know, great diets for different things. When it comes to fasting, I don't think fasting is necessarily the best for an athlete. fasting for me is a regression it's a way to rebuild cellular cleanse give the digestive system a break but fasting is also you are under energized and under nourished so if you're looking at peak performance or peak recovery fasting obviously isn't there now i talk about cellular like regenerating recovery in a way of like you're cleaning out your body but you're not recovering by nourishing with food you're giving your time body to di- digest and fix any issues going on internally, which is different than like, you know, grabbing a great protein source, great nutrients, micronutrients, and recovering after a hard training session, right? So fasting for me, I think it should boil into athletes, you should always give yourself a digestive break. And the more that I dive into fasting research, going out down a little bit of a different path is like, Long-term fasting, extended periods, if you can get into three, four days, like every quarter, if you could do a three, four-day fast, incredible longevity benefits, whether it's resetting your body and then just you know fighting aging basically by fighting the daily stressors and toxins and things that we take in. So that's kind of more where where I see fasting in the world, but it's again, a tool, right? Now we have a plant-based diet. Great way to battle inflammation. If you had anyone sick with a disease or something like that, think that's where you'd go to a plant-based diet to fight inflammation you don't want any growth factors you know we lift we grow our body we train those are periods of growth which is great if you're healthy but if your body's always growing and in this growth phase growth phase growth phase then you can look into some trouble ketogenic diet i think one of the reasons the ketogenic diet which is a fat-based diet why that works so well is because it uh it's, it's very real realistic in today's world. Most crappy foods are sugar and carbs. Now, if you're an athlete or you have moderation or you can handle your food intake or you can make good decisions, carbs can be a fantastic source for you. There's plenty of super healthy carbohydrates, but carbs and sugars are the most commonly overeat food, right? They're the most commonly, you know, you eat your crap, candy, your sugar, you know, that's just the foods that we eat that You're very easy to eat a lot of, and don't make you full. So if you say, "Shoot, well, I can't eat any carbs," which means you're not having any sugar. Well, now it's pretty hard to eat, overeat. It's hard to eat at a calorie surplus, right? You don't have a lot of options. It's not very easy to do. And we can go through, but really, it boils down to energy balance. Whether you're going through, you know, whatever nutritional plan, you got to look at the very fundamental of it. It's energy balance. Are you at a calorie deficit? Or calorie surplus and that's what you know you could be have some, so much success on a keto diet and then you could have so much success on a plant-based based diet complete opposites but if you're eating at a calorie deficit you're both going to get success and then someone goes on a keto diet and then all of a sudden their weight loss stalls and they're like well i'm doing the same thing i'm eating keto well you're no longer energy balanced or energy deficit like your calories have caught up your body's adapted our body goes through adaptive me- <laughs> our body goes through adaptive mechanisms to catch up and it, it now reaches that calorie level. So it, it really, like, you have to use these things as tools. I think there's certain, you know, styles for certain people at certain times of your life. and And just understanding, you know, kind of the different things and not being committed to one is super important. And that's super relatable to a lot of things is having different tools in your toolbox. But there's benefits. There's specific little benefits to, you know, all the different kinds of diets for sure.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. See, that's awesome. And like that... I'm a big proponent of that, of, of understanding all of these different tools, carry all of these different tools in your tool bag and utilize them when the opportunity calls for it. You know what I mean? Like, I love using the analogy of a carpenter because like, for example, if a carpenter walks around with only his hammer, how much value does that carpenter offer? Very little. Mm. If you were a nutritionist and only had only understood intermittent fasting, it's like, how much value do you offer?
0: Like, Absolutely. not much,
1: not much. I, I, unless the person is super psyched and wants to intermittent and Like, that's like all they want to do is like, yeah, I guess you have some offer there. But same goes for the carpenter. If like his only role is to hammer some nails, it's like, okay, yeah, then he has value. Yeah. But, but that's not how our world works. We need to be adaptable. We need to obtain a full toolbox in order to provide the most amount of value that we can to whatever it is that we're doing
0: absolutely and the tough part of that is like with beliefs we get carried away and it's like intermittent fasting like i believe it does keep you young giving yourself breaks is one of our you know adaptive mechanisms as survival i mean we've survived for so long because we've been able to go periods without food and our body goes into this cool thing but that's you know it's not s- specifically proven it isn't maybe the longer durations but like so that's kind of a belief then you go to plant-based and you kind of just believe you know if i'm not eating meat you know there's the the social part of that but then there's also like you know, that energy and stuff keeps me young, keeps me whatever, like, you're not putting in certain foods, like, right, and then there's, like, belief of fat, like, we shouldn't eat any carbohydrates, like, our body was supposed to only eat natural food, or a nutrient-dense diet, like, we're only supposed to eat real non-processed non-pro- foods, you know, like, we weren't meant to eat some of these things, and maybe there's something to that, too, and then there's, you know what, Cal, like, like, Lane Norton here, I, I took his course, unbelievable, He's like one of the top nutritionists in the world. And he's like, it doesn't really matter the source as long as it's just calories, you know, the calorie energy balance, you know, Mm -hmm. there's micronutrients that you want to get. There's certain supplements you should take, but I don't care what you eat. It's energy balance. You know what I mean? Get your macros in order. So you have to, it's partly kind of what you believe, you know, what, what goes in with your fit and your, your structure and your lifestyle thoughts. But Mm -hmm. yeah, tools, man.
1: Yeah, that's all Do I mean, in this what, in this 10 minute period, you just summarized like how many different fad diets and how many different theories of nutrition. It's like, that's awesome. Like that's awesome. That shows like the toolbox that you carry around. And that's sick.
0: And I and I love sharing that with people. And you know, you hear so much and so many people are committed to so so many things. But really what it boils down to is you can get all this education. Cause I wanted to get my master's in nutritional science. Like I was pretty set on it for a little bit. But i I just keep coming back to it's all what can we? actually do and what are people actually going to sustain in their life you know we could come up with the perfect diet we could look at the science and find out how someone's going to live 180 years david sinclair thinks people could live forever but who realistically is going to fast three days and only eat this and only eat that like what are you actually going to do in real life and how are you going to have fun? How are you going to go have a couple of drinks with your friends or how are you going to go to this social setting, but then also do it more optimally? You know, what does your lifestyle look like? So when it really boils down to nutrition, it's like, what are you actually going to do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You bet. No dude, a hundred percent. It's like you carry around the toolbox, but like, can you utilize the tools? Can, can do they yes. Do they give you value? It's like, it's awesome. Dude,
0: this has been an awesome conversation, man. Um, I mean, this is definitely going to be a series. This, we,
1: yeah, I'm down.
0: We have so much to dive into. And then, you know, everybody listening, we have Carter's, uh, he's writing an article on this. So, you know, we're. I'm going to help him out a little bit. You know, he's going to pick my brain, but... Stay on the lookout for Carter Schmitz. He's going to have an article, mechanics of golf School, whatever it is. It's going to be awesome when that comes out. And then go follow Carter. You know, follow him on Instagram, Facebook. Wherever, where else do you hang out? What's your take?
1: Uh, Instagram's probably the main one for me uh, at Coach Carter Schmitz or Coach underscore Carter underscore Schmitz. Um, that'll be the main one. That's where I push out the most content. And then um, link in the bio there can push you to my blog, which is where I produce some longer, more deep dives into some different topics that I'm passionate about.
0: I love it, man. And you'll be tagged in all my stuff. So, you know, we've only got into a little bit of the training, but if you have questions for Carter, I mean, I know you love talking about this stuff. Yeah, you betcha, fire
1: him at me. Yeah,
0: hit him up. All right, Carter. uh, I'm just going to give you my last little question here. But I just wanted to say, first of all, man, I'm grateful for having you here, dude. A gratitude for what you're doing and, you know, the path that you're chosen and the passion you live with. You know, training these athletes, man, it's really important. And I also love the drive for golf. So, grateful for what you're doing, man. Thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate it, dude. I, I can't thank you enough for having me. Absolutely. All right, last question, bud. So let's just say hypothetically, you know, you're this coach down the road and you, you've you kind of built this empire. You're doing all the things you want to do. You have all this wealth and knowledge and you you have a new athlete. And for some reason, you know, you have this athlete, you can only tell him three things. You only have a few things that you can tell him. And what are those kind of, you know, maybe more life lessons, not technical. What are your three things that will help him live healthy and happy and just you know, help them live a more fulfilled life. What are your three things?
1: Yeah. Yeah. First one, first one for me is is believe in what you're doing and do it to the best of your ability. Um, and have you read the book Fred Factor by, by like Mark, Mark Sanborn? I think it is. I haven't. Um, it's an awesome book and it's about, it's about a mailman named Fred who goes like above and beyond in his job. And like while he's a mailman, he does that job to the his greatest potential and makes all of all of the people that he delivers mail to feel valued by him. And that's something that I truly believe in that, like have belief in what you're doing and do it to the absolute best of your abilities, because no matter what you're you're not defined by what you do, you're defined by how you do it. You're defined by the value that you offer while you do perform mm x activity um so that's something that i truly believe in and that's something that i've carried with me through this phase of my career as i work in the business world and as i transition to coaching it's like it's like i want to provide value no matter what i'm doing and and i want to empower growth in others and myself no matter what the means or what the vehicle of that growth is Hmm. um so that's really important to me uh number two is understand and then act so i believe it is imperative that we, we fight to understand and we dig deep to understand everything that's going on as much as we can before we act, before we choose a side. Um, And this goes back to kind of the idea of like navigating the gray areas. Like back in my day, I was so quick and eager to pick a side and have an opinion on things that like, I didn't even understand the other side of the spectrum. And you need to, in a sense, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Like like if I believe this in the strength conditioning world, I need to go seek out somebody who believes the exact opposite and I need to put myself in their shoes and see where they're coming from because that's going to make me a better coach. That's going to probably land me by understanding where he's coming from, by understanding where I've been. That's going to put me in a place that's better than simply on un- only understanding my side of that spectrum, mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to meet somewhere in the middle. I'm going to find interdependence between these two ideas. And that's going to help me grow. That's going to help push me up my mountain per se. Um, and that, and that leads me to my last one, which is help somebody else up their mountain. Um, fight to empower growth in others. That's something that I, I fight and I try to do every single day is I want to help, Lift others up their mountain because I believe in doing so, I will be lifted up mine. Um, you know, a, a stronger you makes a stronger us, and that's something that I truly believe. So, so fight to empower growth. Um, try and help somebody else up their mountain today.
0: You're a bad man, Carter Schmitz. Appreciate you, bro. I appreciate Woo. you, my man. And that is a wrap, my friends. Um, thank you for being here for this one. It was a really fun one, talking golf and really going into fitness and stuff. I, I really enjoy these types of conversations. So thank you, Carter, for coming on, spending your time here. Um, everyone, go give him a follow. He hangs out on Instagram. It is at Coach Carter Schmitz. And he's got a blog going. It's really good stuff. So check him out. All right, let's keep practicing. Let's keep working. You know, go work out, train. Do whatever you can to get better each day. And we'll talk to you next time. Woo!